It's great to have all of you joining us online for this Palm Sunday celebration. How are you doing? You're going a bit stir-crazy? I'm having cabin fever myself. It's uh, difficult to stay in one place for so long. I pray God's been gracing you to have some downtime, some family time, some reflection time. I'm glad that you, Watertown and Aberdeen, are joining us. And Huron, you're our new guest also. I was really saddened to hear about this lady's death in Huron, and I'm praying that God would grace your community uh, as you go through this uh, tough time of grieving. There are several big days in our Christian calendar, and one of those days is Palm Sunday. And I have really grown to love these special occasions and the celebrations that come with them. I'm saddened this year a bit because normally on Palm Sunday, we would do a bunch of baptisms and there'd be a great amount of celebration and excitement. And we're not going to be able to do that evidently uh, this Sunday. Uh, as, uh, but there will be a day, there is a day coming when we'll be through COVID-19 and we'll have a great celebration and get together at that time. Um, I encourage you as much as possible to stay engaged with what's going on here at the church, to take advantage of Monday, Thursday communion and Good Friday reflection, and of course, join us next week for Easter Sunday. I think of all the followers of Jesus that have gone before us and all the difficult things that they've gone through, the various plagues, the persecutions and the hardships. And one of the things that you consistently can take away from this kind of history is that these ones learned how to long for heaven and how to look forward to the day when they would be with the Lord Jesus Christ. There'd be no more crying, no more tears, no more hardships. All things uh, that were old would be uh, gone, and all things would be made new. And they just long for that heavenly destination. And I think one of the things that God can do in us during this time is create in us, likewise, a same longing for heaven, uh, a good, healthy longing for heaven. And I pray that, that some of what you're experiencing now is perhaps a bit of a perspective change where your heart begins to long for that day when we're going to see Jesus face to face and things like COVID-19 will be no more. Also, I think this whole COVID-19 uh, experience that we're going through is, is an opportunity for us to understand how to embrace and live in the day that God gives us. How to, uh, even in the midst of some of the hardships we're going through right now, to make the best of it, uh, to use the quiet time for some reflection and for some growth and for maybe doing uh, some kind of reading or, or projects or things that we never seem to get around to, but now we have the opportunity to push into. It also gives us an opportunity to become uh, more appreciative people. Uh, because the day is coming again when we're going to be able to get together with our friends again, get together with extended family again, get together as a church again. And I pray that there will be uh, a long, enduring thankfulness for some things that perhaps uh, we've been taking for granted for a, a long time. Uh, uh, among this whole COVID-19 experience uh, has been this kind of questioning. How did this start? What is truly the best course of action to take to minimize its effects? Is this really this serious or is it more serious than we think? And a question that begins to get a little deeper into this whole COVID-19 uh, experience is 
when the question begins to have the word why in the middle of it. Um, why is this happening? Why should I comply with restrictions and self-quarantine when I feel healthy and I don't see any effects uh, in my own life at this moment? Um, why did it take so long to recognize the seriousness of it? It, it, it? it got so out of control, it seems like, so quickly. And I'm not at all pointing fingers at anybody because hindsight's always way better than being in the front end of something. But oftentimes, when you really want to get to the heart of the matter, you begin to explore some of the why questions. And that's what we're going to do this Easter season. For the next four weeks, uh, we're going to look into some of the big why questions surrounding the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this, uh, this particular message on, on this Palm Sunday will have to do with why is the cross necessary? And so for four weeks, we're going to dive into some why questions concerning Jesus' death and resurrection. And then after that, we'll get back to our Gospel of John series and continue on in that series uh, well into the summer. Asking why seems to be built into the DNA of humanity. If you've had little kids, I have had several little kids uh, go through our family. You know they get to the age of two to about five or six years of age, and they begin to ask you a lot of why questions. Um, oftentimes the why question is just kind of a question of curiosity. Why does something work this way? Um, and uh, why, why are these uh, principles of science true? Or whatever may be the case. But you get into lots of why questions of uh, that kind of nature. Also there's this kind of why question that has to do a little bit more uh, with a rebellious kind of attitude. Why should I listen to you as my parent and do what you want me to do? Why should I quit hitting my sibling? Why do I have to share my toys with uh, this other uh, playmate? And that kind of why takes on more of a, a rebellious uh, kind of, of tone. Do you have these kind of questions in your own life when it comes uh, to your walk with God? Oftentimes we're questioning God with these same kind of why questions. But getting back to kids, researchers have found that the average kid, when they're about four years old, asks 73 questions a day. The parents are bombarded with questions of who, why, what, when, and how to the point that they get exhausted. And as researchers uh, dived into this a little bit more and begin to ask parents, how do you deal with these constant questions from your little ones? Uh, a significant amount of them said we go to Google for answers or we just make up some answer to get the kid to quit asking questions. And the study found that the, the peak for asking questions is at about four years of age. So for some of you, you're going, oh man, my kid's only two years old and they're asking a tremendous amount of questions. For others of you, you go, oh yay, hallelujah, my kid's five years old and I'm probably on the downside of all these question asking kind of scenarios. A father and a small son went out for a walk one afternoon. And I don't know if you've noticed this. I've noticed this. Uh, I live out in the Timberline edition of Brookings, and I've noticed that there's a tremendous amount of people going for walks now. We live on 
the, uh, a road that's the main outlet to uh, uh, this kind of neighborhood that's west of us. And then we live close to the walking path also. And so we just had this constant stream of people walking by our house anymore. Um, and I jokingly said to Vicki, uh, man, it's dangerous to go for a walk anymore and try to keep your social distance. It's just difficult to do. But at any rate, this father and the son went for a walk one day. And as they're walking along, the boy looked up at the power lines and he said, to his dad, how does electricity go down those lines? How does that work? And the father looked at the lines and he looked at his son. He said, you know, I, I've never really known how that works. And they continued on to walk and, and the boy then turned to his father and said, dad, how does lightning and thunder work? What makes that happen? And the father looked down at his son. He said, you know what, son? I have never really understood that myself. So they continued to go on this walk, the boy asking his father multiple questions, and the father uh, admitting time after time, again, that I have no idea what, how to answer that question. And finally, they get home, and the young man says to his dad, Pop, I'm glad you were so patient with me today and allowed me to answer or to ask you so many questions, to which the father replied, well, how else are you going to learn? And I, I thought that was really a, 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 a humorous little story uh, a, a, about an interaction that often takes place between uh, parents and their kids. Have you ever asked God why in your life? Have you ever got to this point, you're going, God, I just don't understand what's going on. And you begin to have this real inquisitive why kind of dialogue going with God, just wanting to have an answer, wanting to understand some things. Have you ever gotten to the place in your life where you really just don't want to do something? Uh, you know God's word clearly says you should do this, uh, you should act this way, you should speak this way, you should be considerate of a neighbor or whatever, and you begin to kind of ask God, why do I have to do that? And it's kind of that three-year-old rebellious kind of attitude coming out where this little girl who's maybe three years old is, is kind of questioning her mom, saying, why do I have to obey you? In that same kind of way, you might be saying to God, why, why really do I have to do this? I really don't want to do this. Do you ever ask God these kinds of why questions? I know I do. As I mentioned, this Palm Sunday, we're pushing into this Easter series with the title, Why? And today, we're going to deal with the question, why was the cross necessary? And I want to just give you kind of some insight as to where I'm trying to go with this series, what I hope is the outcome for you as a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, I hope there are two outcomes, and they're kind of summarized for us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Now, I want to encourage you, if you're home alone, or if you're home with your spouse, or if you're home with kids, or you're sitting there with a couple other people, I would encourage you to read the scripture I'm reading today with me out loud. Really encourage your kids to read the scripture also. Use this as a time to maybe do some school at home with your kids and talk to them about the scripture after the message is done and what some of the words mean and help them to have uh, some understanding in that regard. So I'm going to read for you now 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, and I ask that you read along with me. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope 
that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. In this Why series, I pray and I hope that we experience two outcomes. And here, here are the two outcomes that I hope that each one of us experience. First of all, that you answer some why questions in your own faith journey. That you work out your salvation with trembling and fear, as the scripture says. That you come to some clarity and conviction concerning these why questions in your own faith. Secondly, I pray and I hope that you're able to give the reason for the hope that you have. So that if someone else asks you, why is the cross necessary? I don't understand why God would have his son die on the cross. That you could succinctly give an answer for the reason that you have hope in this thing called the cross and the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this Palm Sunday question is this. Why was the cross necessary? Well, let's begin to answer that. Answering this question begins with understanding God's holiness. Answering this question of why the cross was necessary begins with understanding God's holiness. The word holy and the word holiness are referenced over 600 times in the Bible. Have you ever heard a stat like that and thought, is that really true? Or did someone just come up with that stat? So I did what most of us would do in our modern era. I went to my cell phone and I said, hey, Siri. And Siri came on and I asked the question, how many times is the word holy used in the Bible? To which Siri got very confused and said to me, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y is used so many times, and then it went on to say, here's how you figure out how many words are used, how frequently in the Bible. It was absolutely no good. So I went back to uh, some reference material I have. It's kind of old school. It's called the Strong Exhaustive Concordance of the Bible. And this little book here um, gives all the words used in the Bible, at least the major words, it gives, it gives them an alphabetical order and how many times they're used and where they're used in reference. It, it's a very small print, as you can see here. And so I looked up the word holy and holiness in my Strong's Concordance, and I began to count, and sure enough, those words are used over 600 times in the Bible. So evidently, this term of holy and holiness, and, and especially as it's used to define to us the nature of God, is extraordinarily important. So I want to share with you now three examples of how God is revealed to us in the Bible as a holy God. And I would encourage you once again to read the scripture I'm about to read out loud with me, encouraging your children, if they're present, to read the scripture also. So I'm going to begin with the example of Leviticus chapter 22, verse 32. Read out loud with me. Do not profane my holy name, for I must be acknowledged as holy by the Israelites. I am the Lord who made you holy. Profane is an interesting word. It's a large word. It contains a lot of, of thought 
an area of application. A subset of profane is we're not to use profanity. We're not to take and swear using God's name. That's like a subset of the word profane. But the word profane means we're not to ever use God's name in a casual common kind of way. We're not supposed to use it as a phrase of astonishment. Um, Oftentimes you'll see text messages with OMG. We're not supposed to do that kind of thing because that's taking God's name casually. We're supposed to instead, we're supposed to revere God's name and and keep his name separate and holy. Um, Right away in the creation account, we see this holiness of God emphasized. After God created on the seventh day, we're told in Genesis uh, chapter 2 verse 3 that he rested and he declared that seventh day holy unto him. It was to be a day devoted to him, a day uh, of resting in him, a day of acknowledging his creativity. And his creation then was supposed to enter into this understanding that He's holy, and we're supposed to be devoted to him. And as we just read in Leviticus chapter 22, we're supposed to not profane or make common or casual his name because our God is holy. So we're beginning to get a little understanding from this one example alone here in Leviticus chapter 22. Of course, couple that with Genesis chapter 2, that God is a holy God. Now let's go to Psalm 99, and I'm going to read to you verses one through three. This is our second example of, of what it means that God is holy. And again, uh, read this with me as I read. The Lord reigns, let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim, let the earth shake. Great is the Lord in Zion. He is exalted over all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. And we see here the psalmist just can't contain himself. He says, God, you're over everything. You're over all the nations. You're over all of creation. Great is your name, Lord. You're exalted. Let them praise your great and awesome name. You're holy. And so we see that God's holy. He's unique. He's over all of humanity and all of the nations. And then we get to one last example. And I took this one from the New Testament on purpose. I went all the way to the end of the New Testament to the book of Revelation and found a great scripture there that talks about the holiness of God. It's Revelation chapter 4 verse 8. And once again, I encourage you to read this out loud with me. And if any kids are present with you, encourage them to read this out loud with me also. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around even under its wings. Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So right now, at this very moment, night and day, all of heaven is declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holiness means to be morally perfect. It means perfect righteousness. It denotes separateness. To be set apart from ordinary or common. It means religious awe. It means sacred. As I said, 600 times in the Bible, holy or holiness is talked about. God isn't a being who does some holy things. He is a holy being. 
Everything about his nature is holy. He's totally separate from anything morally wrong. He's totally separate from anything that's not right. And the problem that arose was when Adam and Eve sinned, and sin entered into the human experience, it separated mankind, it separated humankind from a holy God because a holy God cannot be fellowshipping with sinful humanity. And if you're going to begin to answer the question of why is the cross necessary, you have to understand the holiness of God or you won't see the need of the cross. The cross became the means by which the Lord could have connection once again with fallen humanity. By the cross, by the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, we who believe in that and accept by faith what Christ did for us on the cross, we're told in the Bible that we become then a holy people. And now as a holy people, we can have a relationship with a holy God. This leads us right to point number two. Answering the question is further defined by knowing that God's perfect nature will not allow him to overlook sin. So answering the question of why was the cross necessary is further defined by knowing that God's perfect nature will not allow him to overlook sin. He just can't do it. Some might say, well, why can't God just forgive and move on? Such a question doesn't understand the holy nature of God. He cannot overlook sin. He's perfection. He can't be in the presence of in perfection. Some may still question, well, why not? I don't understand why this can't be. When we get into that kind of questioning, we're kind of going to that three-year-old level where that little girl is rebelling against her mom and saying, why do I have to listen to you? Why do I have to obey uh, the things you tell me to do? That is not fruitful questioning. We have to go to how God has been revealed to us and how he's made himself known to us. And he's made himself known as our creator who's holy and perfect without spot or blemish. We are the creation and his holiness cannot be in the presence of, of, of you know, fallen humanity. We can't have this intimate fellowship. So the problem is this. God's perfect nature cannot commune with humankind's sinful nature. It just can't happen. And this is an all-inclusive problem of humanity. Romans 3.23 says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is a universal problem. As Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but I have a lava lamp here. These were really, really popular when I was in high school in the 70s. 
In these times, maybe lava lamps will make a comeback. I hear that they're still kind of popular. And the thought process being with the lava lamp was that it would have a calming effect um, on the environment in which it was placed, that you could stare at the stuff that's bubbling in there and feel some peace and tranquility. And who knows, in our anxious times, maybe we need to have these calming effects uh, around us. Now, a classic Lava lamp like I have here contains an incandescent lamp in the bottom of it. And uh, all it is is a light bulb. And it heats up this liquid mixture here and causes some of it to bubble to the top and and causes this kind of bubbling. Let me explain how this works. By the way, this was patented in 1968 and the technology hasn't changed much uh, from then. A lava lamp consists of two main liquids. First of all, there's water. Most of this is water. And then there's also a mineral oil, paraffin wax, and carbon tetrachloride mixture. That's these bubbles in here. Uh, It's kind of a mineral oil mixture if you want to just shorten that up. And it works on this principle. Water and oil do not mix. They stay separate. So as the lamp heats this you know, water and mineral oil mixture, the mineral oil begins to bubble to the top gets to the top, and it cools off, and it comes down, and you get this kind of percolating effect. But the principle of a lava lamp is this. Oil and water don't mix. Oil and water don't mix. It works on that principle. Just like water and oil doesn't mix. Get this. God's perfect nature can't mix with humanity's sinfulness. They just can't mix together. They they remain separate from each other. So this gives us a bit of a visual representation of the separateness of a holy God from the sinfulness of humanity. And so God provided an answer. God provided a way for you to have a holy nature by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. So that then you can have relationship with him, a holy God. So God didn't leave us in this separated out sinful condition. He provided a way for us to be okay and to be once again holy so that we can have a holy relationship with God through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, part B says this. And again, I would encourage you, read this out loud with me. And encourage all those present with you to read this also. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So God sent his son, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, to take the punishment of our sins upon himself so that as we place our faith in him, We're born again. Our sins are washed away as far as the east is from the west. They're paid for. And we become, in God's sight, a holy person. And in that state now, we're oil on oil or water on water. And there's an affinity and we can mix and have relationship with God. I'm reminded this Palm Sunday of the great price Jesus paid for our sins. And how much he was really brutalized and beaten, even beaten beyond recognition as our sins was laid upon him. Years ago, a movie came out, The Passion of the Christ. How many of you 
saw that movie. It was a terrible hard movie to watch. I remember when it came out that myself and Vicki and some other people went to our local movie theater up there in Williston, North Dakota, and we watched the movie and people wept out loud. There was moans and groans. And it was just, it was so visually stimulating and so visually difficult to watch. And a lot of people have never really come to grips with what the crucifixion was like and how, uh, how horrendously awful it was. And Paul Harvey wrote a review on it at the time. And he noted that one scene was etched forever on his mind. You have a brutalized, wounded Jesus walking along uh, that pathway uh, to crucifixion, and he has the cross beam uh, of the cross on his shoulders, and he falls. He just falls under the weight uh, of, of this burden. And all along uh, this way as he's been walking uh, to this place of crucifixion. His mother Mary has been following him and as he falls and, and he's so beaten up, we see his mother begin to rush to his side trying to get to her son and there's a flashback of her with the little Jesus as a boy hugging him when he had fallen down. Now remember, this is a movie. It's just made up, but it's still good. It's good movie making. And so you see this flashback, and then she gets to her son, and she cradles his, his head. She, she reaches out to touch his, his face. She's got a mother's heart just going out to her son who's just suffering terribly, and she wants to comfort him. And he he's, he's looks into her eyes with this intensity and this passion, and this deep-seated love. He looks into his mother's eyes, and that moment, the camera pans into his face, and he's looking at us. And he says to her, Behold, I make all things new. And he was quoting in the movie there from Revelation 21, where Jesus did say these words, I will wipe away every tear. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will pass away. Even COVID-19 will pass away. I am making all things new. Can you see Jesus looking in your eyes right now? Can you sense this happening to you? Can you see him looking in your eyes today and saying to you as a beloved son or daughter, I am making all things new in your life. All the old things are passing away and I'm making all things new. Why the cross? It was the means by which the old passed away and the new came to be. Do you see Jesus looking in your eyes and saying that very thing to you today? I'm the one who causes all the old things to pass away and for you to become completely new. Now, through the cross, we can have relationship with a holy God. The mixture is not one of water and oil. The mixture is one of water on water or oil on oil, however you want to look at it. Sin had to be accounted for. Sin had to be 
dealt with. And Jesus did that on the cross. Why was the cross necessary? God is holy. And like oil and water don't mix, a holy God can't mix and be in relationship with an unholy people. His perfect nature cannot look, overlook sin. But praise be to his name, he had a solution from the foundation of the world, and it was Christ Jesus, his son, who came and died on the cross, atoned for our sins, and now we can become holy by receiving Jesus Christ by faith. He has made all things new. I hope this clearly answers our two questions today. Personally, I hope it answers your own faith questions of why is the cross necessary. And I hope with clarity and conviction now you can see that the cross was necessary because God is holy. And for us to be in relationship with a holy God, we have to be made a holy people. I hope you can see that with clarity and conviction. And secondly, I hope now when somebody asks you for the reason that you hope in Jesus Christ, that you can say when it comes to the question of the crucifixion, that this was necessary because our God is holy and he's made a way for us to be holy and have relationship with him. Now, as I end the message today, I want to just address quickly two great misconceptions that really work against the cross and the significance of the cross. The first common misconception is this. I can be okay with God by trying to live right and count on that to make me okay with God. Paul addressed this thing so clearly, this misconception so clearly. He said in Galatians 3, verses 1 through 3, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Paul makes it so clear here to the Galatians, and he makes it so clear to you and I, that the way to righteousness, a right relationship with God, is by dealing rightly with the cross and accepting the crucifixion as the way that you're made okay with God by putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and not counting on what you can do yourself, but counting on what God has done for you. To those perishing, the cross will seem like foolishness. It just won't make sense. But to, to those who are being saved, they will realize this is the power of God at work. This is the way God has made it uh, available for me to become a born-again person who can be filled with the Holy Spirit, who can experience transformation, and who can really become one who can say all things have been made new in my life. Get this. Get this perspective. You have to deal rightly with the cross to be all right with God. Once you are all right with God, then as Hebrews 12 verse 14 says, we're to make every effort to live in peace with all people and to be holy because only those who are holy will see the Lord. I can't be holy by my own works. I cannot do that. That's a misconception. 
But through faith in Jesus Christ and through the work of the cross, I can become a holy person. And once I become a holy person, then my heart's desire to push into that holiness and to be separate unto God and to live a life that's pleasing to him. Second misconception I want to talk with you about briefly is this. My sacrifice makes me okay with God. Hebrews 10 verses 1 through 4 speak to this misconception. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshiper would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But these sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. In the time before Jesus' crucifixion, the Hebrews were instructed by God to do an annual sacrifice to him, indicating the cost of their sins and through sacrifice that their sins would be forgiven. But these sacrifices had no power in and of themselves. They were a foreshadowing. They were a shadow of what was to be accomplished in Jesus Christ. The power of these sacrifices lied in the fact that they pointed to Jesus Christ. The sacrifices of bulls and goats did not take away sins. Their power lied in that they pointed to this day when Jesus would come and be crucified and he would take away our sins. That's where their power lied. And that's the point that the Hebrew writer makes very clearly. And this is, a, I think, a, a point you have to hear today uh, all over again. Too frequently we think, and so many think, the way I can be okay with God is to do some kind of sacrificial thing for him. It's kind of like I'm going to bargain with God. If I do this good thing and I sacrifice this way, then I, I'm going to, you know, work up some kind of points in a ledger system and, and hopefully my ledger system uh, on the good side will outweigh my ledger system on the bad side and I'll be okay uh, with God. But we don't make bargains with God. That's the point uh, of this Hebrew scripture. Um, we're to understand that Jesus, our once-for-all sacrifice, has made us okay with God. And we have to place our faith in that and that alone. Then once we do that, once we do that, and we're filled with the person of the Holy Spirit, we're experiencing the transformed life, we're being made new in Jesus, all things are becoming new, then out of that new nature, we're called to live a sacrificial life. And the sacrifices flow from a right status with God, and out of that situation, rather than trying to make us right with God, they flow out of being right already with God and doing the right thing because of that. Sacrifices don't cause us to become. Sacrifices should flow out of what we have become in Christ as a result. They're an outcome. I love this time of year. I love Palm Sunday. I love Easter. I love other grand holidays like Christmas. They are just such opportunities to go back to some of the fundamentals of our faith and just really anchor our souls into them. And I pray today, as I have seen, I hope you will see also that, that this Palm Sunday affords us this great opportunity to once again anchor our faith, our soul on the work that Christ has done for us on the cross. 
that Jesus Christ alone saves our soul, that once we receive this work by faith that Jesus has done for us, that the Holy Spirit will fill us and we're to ask the Holy Spirit, come and fill me. And then we're transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ and all things become new and we become the holy people we're meant to be. And as holy people, we can have relationship with our holy God instead of it being an oil and water mixture. We're now water and water or oil and oil. There's a real affinity and we can be in this real relationship with God. Praise be to God. Um, I pray that... uh, with clarity and conviction now, you understand why the cross was necessary. At this time, Kyle and the praise team are going to come up and, and sing a really powerful praise song. And I encourage you uh, to hear the lyrics and to enter in and to worship and to sing. I know sometimes it feels a little awkward at home to be singing on your own or just a couple of you singing. Um, throw off that uh, timidity and be bold and sing unto the Lord and enter into this time of worship and song. And I'll return in a few moments to close with some thoughts and a prayer. Your 
encourage you as families, as individuals, as friends, um, to continue the conversation about why the cross was necessary by using some questions that we provided for you at the end of the note guide. You can just go to our webpage, go to the media section and find the note guide there and you'll see that there are four different questions with a whole bunch of breakdowns for involving your kids uh, and and talking about what was shared with you uh, today. I would just encourage you to do that. There's some really good helps there um, for ingraining some of this uh, 
some of this knowledge into your kids in a really life-transforming way. So with that, um, I'll, I'll let that go. I want to just uh, have a moment here and close with you in prayer. My heart, just really, I just really want to pray for you today. And so would you bow your heads with me right now and receive these words um, and, and pray along with me uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I want to just thank you uh, for the cross. I want to thank you, Jesus, for the price you paid for our sins. And I want to pray, Lord, that we understand it's about God's holiness. That that's a big, big reason, Lord, why you went to the cross. Was so that we, as sinful people, could become a holy people that could have relationship with a holy God. I want to just pray that that sinks into our souls today, Lord. We're so grateful to you, Jesus, for your sacrifice, for your crucifixion. We acknowledge that that was not an easy thing, that you were beat beyond, beaten beyond recognition, that you were brutalized and humiliated, Lord, so that we, we could have life and life to the full. We are so grateful to you, Jesus. Jesus, I pray for anyone here this day that they would stare into your eyes, so to speak, and realize you're saying to them, I'm making all things new. The old has passed away and all things are new in me. That you're the God who recreates, that regenerates, and we are reborn in you as we put faith in you, Jesus. Praise be to your name. God, would you bless the people as they pray with me here in their various households? Would you fill each household with your presence and your power? Would you bless our marriages? Wrap your arms around our marriages. Would you bless our children uh, and cause them to grow in their faith, Lord? Would you grace us to be constantly in this discipling mode of of one another, uh, mutually encouraging each other in our faith, growing in our love for you, growing in our love for others, Lord? God, would you do some works during this time of dispersion where we can't collectively be together physically, but we're together in in our hearts, Lord? Uh, would you do a work in our lives that's deep and rich and ever everlasting for us as people, that it would be something that forever just changes us, Lord? God, I, I just pray your blessing over everyone that's watched today. Fill them with your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, and bless their souls, I pray. In your name and by your blood, Jesus, I pray these things. And all God's people said with me, amen. I want to encourage you that if you receive Christ or have questions about receiving Christ, that you text the number that will show up on your screen now, the word Jesus. If you do that, someone will get back to you and have conversation with you and follow up with you. So you would text the word Jesus to the number showing now on the screen. Also, if you would like to have someone pray with you or for you for some reason, to that very same number, just text the word pray, P-R-A-Y, and someone will pray with you. God bless you and keep you. Have a great Palm Sunday. Rejoice in the good things that God is doing. Participate in Holy Week with us and get yourself ready for a great Easter celebration next week. God bless you.